consider our fight begun! Welcome to Now Playing, the movie review podcast, hosted by Brock, Jacob, and Stuart. Didn't you get my email explaining the situation? I skimmed it. I'm Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend. Wait, we're fighting over Ramona? Today, we are reviewing Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. This podcast is spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're talking about Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Starring Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Brandon Ralph, Jason Schwartzman, and directed by Edgar Wright. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Versus Stewart in LA. <laughs> and this is Jacob, hobby, part-time podcaster, rating, full-time awesome. All right. Okay. This is one of those movies that you look at and you're like, yeah, I wonder what that's about. So we're going to start this off with what point of views you were coming to this movie with. And Stuart, tell us about your experience with Scott Pilgrim before watching the movie. I usually pick movies to see based on directors, and, and I was interested in seeing Scott Pilgrim because I really liked Shaun of the Dead. And to a lesser extent, I liked Hot Fuzz. I really think he's got a good wit he is steeped in the kinds of things that I grew up watching, and he is clever and fun. And I thought if anyone could make this concept work, it, it would be him. I don't think I would be interested to see it if it were a Mick G or just an <laughs> any flashy music video director. It really is, for me, an Edgar Wright movie that I was sitting down to see. I don't know the comics. In fact, Watching this movie, I wouldn't have even guessed it was based on a comic. I would have guessed it was based on a video game. Yeah, of course. My experience with Scott Pilgrim is I did not know a thing about it. And I was seeing the previews, the 20 minutes of previews, when I saw Predators for our Predator retrospective series. And I was watching this preview and I said, wow, that's a really good trailer. I know exactly what that movie's about, the style, the fun. That looks like a movie I want to rent. That's going to be a great movie to rent one night on a Saturday night. And so then I found out we were reviewing this, and I was like, man, I really wish I didn't watch that trailer. Because I would have got the full experience of, out of the blue, how it goes down in the middle of the movie without it knowing to expect it. Comics were not my big thing. I have very, very limited tastes in comics and what I buy and what I read. So I am an extreme newbie here. And I agree with Stuart. I would never have guessed it was a comic book unless I knew ahead of time. I, too, would have guessed it was a video game-based movie. Now it's my turn. I am the, the comic book geek, hardcore Scottaholic. I've read all the graphic novels. Scott Pilgrim, it's a series of six graphic novels. They weren't released as your typical single issues. They were released about one a year in a, you know, about 300 page graphic novel, uh, at a time. Wow. Uh, written by Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, a Canadian. The name Brian O'Malley, I, I was quite shocked, uh, when I first met him and he ended up being Asian. Uh, oh, that's wow. Yes. I guess that's why he keeps the Lee in there, just so you aren't totally surprised. I jumped on the series when there are three volumes out. Uh, I, I found out about it, read them, and then every year I had to wait for four, five, and six. Just killer anticipation. I mean, there were midnight releases for these books. It has a hardcore underground following, and it got bigger and bigger every year until this year at Comic-Con. I was shocked how hardcore they were pushing this movie. I mean, I attended the, the comic book panels i attended the movie panels i actually this i saw this during the midnight release thursday night which was my second time seeing it because i saw it at comic-con which was an amazing experience edgar wright was there almost the entire cast i mean there's a, this is a huge cast they were all there uh, about 1300 people in attendance uh, most of them hardcore scott pilgrim fans I bet I, you couldn't even hear every third line of dialogue there was that, so much noise and laughter that, that's why i had to go see this a second time because <laughs> It was like a rock concert. Every time uh, a character from the book showed up or there was a certain video game reference, people just went crazy. I, it was the best movie experience I've had. I mean, it was a total rock concert. It, it's always a worrisome thing going into a movie like this. It, it's, you know, you have your comic book movies like Batman or Spider-Man where 
the character is such an icon, such, such a mythology. You could tell any story. You know, you watch The Dark Knight, and yeah, there's influences from different Batman comics, but, you know, Christopher Nolan is able to do his own thing, and he's still recognized as Batman. But when you take, you know, a set story like Scott Pilgrim or Watchmen or Kick-Ass, you know, you're going off of an established story, and that's where it gets tricky. That's where fans get, you know, their real fanboy geekishness, where if you step away from the story any little bit, people could get real upset. So, I, you know, Edgar Wright was doing this, like you, Stuart, huge fan of Shaun of the Dead. I, I really like Hot Fuzz as well. So I felt like this was in good hands going in, and I've been anticipating this movie for quite a while. Because this is a big movie, why don't we do a quick plot summary? Jacob, can you do the honors? Scott Pilgrim, he's from Toronto, Canada. He's 23 years old and dating a high schooler. 17-year-old Chinese Catholic schoolgirl, Knives Chow. This is his first attempt at a relationship in over a year since his heart's ass was kicked by Natalie Adams, who adopted the persona Envy Adams as her band, The Clash of Demon Head, signed a major label and went on to tour with the Pixies. So Scott, he's dating this 17-year-old girl. No one approves his band that he's in, Sex Bomb. The members of the band don't approve. His sister, his gay roommate, Wallace Wells, and other friends, none of them approve of this relationship. But eventually Scott meets the woman of his dreams, literally. Ramona Flowers rollerblades through his head. Apparently he has this weird subspace highway that goes right through his brain uh, so Ramona could do her delivery job. She could take shortcuts, get to her destinations quicker, and he becomes obsessed with Ramona. He, Scott eventually tracks her down, and they begin dating. The only problem is if you're going to date Ramona Flowers, you're going to have to fight her seven evil exes. So as Scott learns, he's going about his life. Her exes are jumping in. They're fighting. They're battling. He has to defeat each one. And as, as these fights go on, he becomes more and more wary of this relationship with Ramona. Does he really want to you know, deal with all this baggage, which is literally physical fights? It's, it's not just emotional baggage in this world where video game physics make, come into play. It's, it's actual physical threats. Eventually, they break up after he defeats six of the seven evil exes, and Ramona turns to her old flame, Gideon Graves. Scott has a change of heart, decides he's going to fight for his woman, faces the seventh evil ex, defeats him, and Scott and Ramona, they walk off, not into the sunset, but into a subspace highway door to disappear from their friends and to go on to their next journey, whatever that may be. So right. much to talk about with that end, but I, I'm going to hold on that. Video game presence in this movie. It's, but they didn't say in the beginning of this movie, unless I missed it, that this movie's taking place in the past, but it seems that the video games they have are a few years older. The computer he has is a few years older. So when does this take place? You know what? There's not really a, 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 pl- a time that this takes place. It's, it's a huge, you know, yes, video games play a heavy part in this film. 8-bit Nintendo video games. Right. But this is just, I, I think it's more just about geek culture. Yeah, there's the 8-bit Nintendo games. I mean, really, this is a generational film. Uh, and we could discuss this later. I don't know how many people this film is going to appeal to because it is so specific in its cultural references. But you have your Nintendo references. You have your indie punk bands. You know, you got a Seinfeld uh, scene thrown in there as a reference. I mean, th- it's just so much about pop culture. I, I think it's about, a, you know, a certain time of pop culture, but I, I don't think it's pinned down to any certain year. Yeah, I agree. I think they went all over the place with it, but I think it worked. I don't, at some points, it was confusing to me because she had cell phones, right? She called from outside the door with a cell phone, but yet he had never heard of Amazon or how fast it would w- work to deliver to him. And Scott is kind of clueless. I mean, that's just his personality. He plays in a punk band. He's a slacker, a loser. He, he You know, you get the great scene in uh, Wallace's in his apartment where it shows who owns what, and all Scott owns is a coat and, and a poster of a couple girls making out. Everything else is Wallace's. So he, he's kind of just a clueless character. And that went by too fast for me to even pay attention, but I remember that. I, I got to say, this movie, I was prepared for myself to be too old for it. I'm well over the three O mark, so I figured this was a movie for the 1825 demographic and that I was going to have to run extra fast to keep up with it. But what Brock pointed out, and I totally agree, is all the cultural references are my generation. They really aren't of this generation. The video games they talk about, the music they're talking about, 
all of the pop culture is from the 80s and mid to early 90s. It really isn't from this past decade. And it is kind of a strange amalgam of something really hip and fresh and new and also something very nostalgic and retro. And again, you look at the way this story was originally written as graphic novels. Brian Lee O'Malley, I believe he's around my age, but he uh-huh. started this. Uh, he started, and I'm you know over that 30-year-old mark, <laughs> but he started this in his 20s. I mean, this took a long time. He wrote and drew the entire – this is a 1,500-plus page story that he wrote and drew himself. So, yeah, I, I think he definitely started from that 20-year-old mindset, just the time it took to do the entire story. You know, things had changed, and you definitely see those changes in attitude and mood throughout the, the books. I remember when I got my Nintendo, that was, that was a pivotal moment in my formation of, of who I am. I, I remember <laughs> Nintendo – it was. Nintendo was like the biggest thing ever. I remember when I gave up playing Atari for Nintendo, and it's like – that was like my bar mitzvah. I was then a man. I was playing 8-bit video games. Dude, dude, you have no idea how big Nintendo was in my life too, but I got to tell you – I didn't even play another video game system until my Xbox for real because it was like I was cheating on a girlfriend because of my NES. I understand that. My I love NES. I was it's just my video game system. Even though I had one before that, is you, I had I had the Intellivision. But the NES is great. And so to see these kind of things in this movie. The first time, the first time, the boyfriend he defeats and he turns into coins. I was like. Yes! That's perfect! Because it totally connected to my generation. Stuart, I have to agree with what you said. As the movie started at the beginning, I was like, uh-oh, I think I might be, I might feel a little old here. And throughout the movie, here and there, I did still feel a little bit old. Even though the references were there for me, and mm-hmm. I got all the jokes, there were times when I felt like, I'm on the brink of being too old for this kind of movie. Right. And and if this had been about Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber and whoever <laughs> is in High School Musical, it would have lost me. I feel grateful that this is a dated time capsule work and that Smashing Pumpkins was what I was listening to when I was in college. And, and I think that, yes, being a peer of the author and the source material really helped me stay with it because the style of this was work to keep up with. Let's talk about that style because one of the things I think this movie really has going for it is this very fun, unique style of presenting a movie. And yet it it would almost be too much. And I want to stress that. like There are lots of music video people that try to be clever. And it can get really annoying like that. There's nothing worse to me than something that's overly hip. Here, I think what really kept it grounded was not only did I know the time period they were talking about, which is about 10 years younger than the speed at which this is told, but it also has a really likable cast and it is really well made. Yes. And and I feel like because I could invest in these people and recognize their world – I could keep up. One of the things that I really liked what Edgar Wright did here was, you know, you talked about how fast this movie moves was his editing style. Like there's that scene towards the beginning where uh, Scott's with the rest of his bandmates and they're walking around, they're getting all that exposition out of the way. And like every 15 seconds, they're in a different location, but the conversation's still linear, but they're jumping all over the place because the way it's cut. Because I am the comic book geek, I'm always looking for how someone could take what's special about a comic book and translate that correctly to a film. It's so hard to do. I remember Ang Lee's The Hulk, where he tried to mess where you would have different panels on the screen. Or recently, uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, which just felt like all he did was film the pages of the graphic novel. They're just such, you know, comics and a a film, they're two different mediums, but you want to kind of try to capture what's special about each medium and have that translate. So what I like, you know, with comics, there's this theory where you have, you have these panels and you have the gutter space in between. And the reader, it's, it's an active thing. The reader is filling in what's going on in that gutter space between panels. So it, it's very logical in a comic book to have one shot of a person maybe standing there and the next shot, they have something in their hand that wasn't there before because your mind fills in in that gutter space. Okay, he reached over, picked up that cup or whatever. If you try to do a weird cut scene like that in the film, you'd be like, like it, it, it would just seem weird. But Edgar Wright, he figured out how to do it. The scenes, you know, 
Scott's really conscious, self-conscious about his hair because he got it cut right before he had this big breakup. So he lets it grow long. And whenever someone mentions how long his hair is, it cuts to him and he's got this hat on all of a sudden. Like, I really liked how Edgar Wright thought about how a comic book works and how to make that work in a film without just copying the comic book. Especially when they showed the faces, but everyone's thinking, you know, everyone's face, like, boom, 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 boom. Also, the split screen, like uh, an anime slash video game, well, in the beginning of a video game battle. Those kind of split screens, too, also work. So it's a combination of the comic book and the video games clashing together, and which completely worked. It really did keep a great pace. It really made it a great environment. And my hat is off to Edgar Wright for pulling off what could have been a major disaster. I want to bring up another movie that did that crossed genres, but not the same way, and amazingly still worked. That's 500 Days of Summer that came out last year. I liked I've how- heard these two films compared. So yeah. I haven't seen 500 Days, but I've heard a lot of people comparing these two films. You yeah. should definitely check that out because they have so many different vignettes in that movie that for all intents and purposes, when other people try to do that kind of thing, it crashes and burns. But in that movie, it completely works for that movie. And in this movie, most of the time for this movie, it totally works. And it's really fun to see what he's doing. But I do want to t- mention one thing. Until the first ex-boyfriend showed up, I was getting a little tired of the movie. I was waiting for something bigger to happen because I knew it was coming. If I didn't know it was coming, maybe I wouldn't, you know, but I saw the preview, remember I said? I was just waiting for the movie to get into full gear. And a couple of times in this movie, even though it's it's a lot going on and, and lots of cuts and lots of paces and things going on, the lulls to me in between the big fun stuff were getting a little painful. And I don't understand how that's possible. Did you guys feel at all at any point that this movie had lags or lulls? Yes, but I don't think they're the ones that you think. I actually, <laughs> you got, you guys are are calling this movie a success. I'm calling it a half success. Oh, I, I didn't say it was a like, success. I didn't say it was a success. I said, I said there are a lot of good things going on here. I have not gone you, the other you side. You said yet. that Wright was successful at keeping the pace, and I would argue that the movie halts halfway through the movie. It 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 does everything it's going to do in the first half of the movie, and then it just starts hitting the repeat button in the second half of the movie. And my problem with the movie is I found the first half much more inventive and fun to watch than the end, which I had real problems with, both narratively and just as a sense of pace. I just I didn't need seven ex-boyfriends. I needed about five. And I definitely felt like, man, this is just going on too long. It's kind of a long movie for a comedy. Comedies tend to be about 90 minutes. And this one was pushing two hours. And I could feel it. It's tiresome. You know, this style, it works for me so well in short burst. It works so well in advertising. Or it works good in montages. 500 Days of Summer, there are montages that feel like this movie, but the whole movie doesn't move like that. No. Fight Club. Fight Club has a great scene where he walks through his apartment, and it's like an Ikea catalog, and they do that here, but they never not do it here. That's the difference, is that it has this pace that it cannot stop, and at a certain point... When it stops being inventive and it starts repeating the things that it does, for me, it turned off. I actually know the exact moment that I started to lose patience with the movie. I'll hold it when we get into the actual uh, evil axes. But okay. there, about, about 45 minutes into the movie, I could feel it start to grind down. Interesting, because I felt with the whole knives thing in the beginning, and at the end, it comes together, but... The whole Knives thing in the beginning, as soon as he meets Ramona, I'm like, then why on earth did I spend so much time with Knives? I don't care about Knives anymore. I want to get on with the movie. And when he finally meets Ramona, I was like, we spent so much time with Knives. I love Knives. I love Knives, and I love the di- I love the romantic triangle. And I actually okay. could have I could have had the movie be more about that and less about all the evil axes. No, I, I thought the pace, I mean, like I said, the first time I saw this was at Comic-Con, and it was like a rock concert. It felt very, most of the film felt very fast-paced. You know, there's a lot of punk bands, Sex Bob-omb, Scott's band, this punk band. Punk's all about playing as fast as you can. And there's times, and maybe it's just because I'm getting old, I felt like I was being pulled through this movie. It was going quicker than I could keep up with, because he stuffs, Edgar Wright's just stuffed so much stuff in the background and little musical cues things like that like trying to keep up with this felt exhausting at times that there's a movie i wanted to compare this to and i i'm just so worried that comparing it to this movie or referencing this movie is going to make it sound like i don't like scott pilgrim but i'm going to bring it up anyway i'm going to talk about speed racer 
Because yep. I loved, I loved Speed Racer. I know it, it. A lot of people b- b- talked bad about it, but I just loved how it, it. It was just a totally different aesthetic from most movies you're used to, and it's just it's going to do its own thing, and you're just going to go on for a ride and get pulled through that movie. And that's this felt like a much more refined version of that pacing but yeah there are times and, and i'm interested to see when he felt those moments were Stuart, that things did seem to slow down and going back to the books i mean when you get to volume five and half of volume six the last volume the whole pace of the story the whole mood of the story really changes and, and, and goes off in a very different direction. So I think maybe when we get into this, uh, I'll be interested to see if they line up with those books where you got those big tonal shifts in the books. I mean, here's the thing about pace. No matter how accurately they create or recreate the feeling of panels in a comic book, when you're reading a book, you have the choice to decide how fast you want to go. You can say, I'm going to skim, or you can linger and look at a single panel for five minutes and see all the detail work. But when you're making a movie, you have to keep cutting. And because of that, they made the choice to make everything very fast. I think that was a mistake. I think that tonally, I wanted the movie to progress and change and slow down. And not slow down as in get boring, but linger on things that were a little bit more of the emotional and less of the flash and wow and being like in an arcade. I understand that, but I liked that there was an emotional structure to this movie that the the big flashy ex-boyfriend fights things connected in. But it just seems to me there could have been a better way to do it that could have got to the meat of the story a little faster for me if they could have condensed it somehow and got to the fights a little faster. I don't think they would have lost that much, if at any, emotional punch if they found a way to condense the beginning of it. Uh, well, I, and I think if you're there for Mortal Kombat, and, and clearly the movie <laughs> takes on Mortal Kombat as a screenplay structure, I do think it will take a while for you to get there. But I just want to say, I like the love triangle. I really thought that it was the perfect way to encapsulate a man that was caught between childhood and be an adulthood. Yes. And that this movie could have just as easily been called Scott Pilgrim versus Maturity as it is the world. I mean, that's what they're really talking about when they're saying Scott versus the world, is they're talking about the adult world, the growing up. And he is really, I mean, he's 22, and that's young enough to still be a kid, but it's old enough to be like, yeah, you're several years out of high school, you don't live at home anymore. It is time to start thinking about what you want to do and, and head in the right direction. As far as I can tell, Scott doesn't have a job. He hasn't gone to college. All he's got is his band, and he's really drifting. And I think it was really cool to see him, on one hand, be charmed. And I totally got why he was so into the effusive, I love everything, I want to, I want to consume the world, everything you do is great, which was, you know, Knives Chow. And then on the other hand, there was a, a girl that had seen a lot. She had baggage. She was worldly. She was far more experienced than him. And she represented, in, in a certain sense, she represented fantasy. But more importantly, she represented opening up this insular world that he kind of lived in, this kid world. By being with her, I got the sense that he could actually learn something new. Well, also, he, his, ex, his ex-girlfriend is a little girl. And the new girlfriend's an actual woman. It's a beautiful way to show what they're doing here. A little heavy-handed, but to some, I thought it was a perfect way to do it. Also, you said he moved out of his house. He lives across the street. (laughs) So I thought that was awesome, too. He's moved out, but he's really not that far away. Everything you're saying is dead on, Stuart. And I think it's what's part of the fun of the movie for me and the character of Scott Pilgrim is that I understood what was going on completely and the metaphors to me completely worked i liked it Stuart. i'm just going to tell you read the series if if you want the relationship stuff read the series there's so much emotional i mean it's just not between knives and ramona you get into scott's backstory with kim pine the drummer and oh i loved her and i so wanted more of kim pine and, and she really got short the short end of the stick in this film her story and her arc with scott is just heartbreaking in the book envy adams plays a much larger role you get much deeper into their backstory i mean this is a huge i mean one of the things when i when i saw this at the panel at comic-con and they brought up 
like the entire cast of all the main players, this is a huge cast. There are a lot of characters in this story. And again, 1,500 plus pages in, in books, trying to condense that down into under two hours, yeah, maybe they should have dropped some of the characters. Maybe they should have cut and been more economical because there is so much good stuff that they leave out just because there's not room for it in two hours mm. of film. What we need to do is, while everything you're saying is absolutely right, Jacob, if you've read the books, and that's a great perspective, did it work at all for you, the person who knows all the stuff, how they condensed it? Were you happy with that? And I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, you know what? There, There is all that great emotional love triangle stories that I talked about. I didn't have a problem with the way it was presented in the film. They, they basically distilled it down to the triangle that you already mentioned, Stuart, between Knives, Scott, and Ramona. The way they, they handled Knives, I, I'm still you know, trying to sort that out, how I feel about her coming back in the end and aiding Scott to defeat the seventh evil ex. And, ugh. It, it's it just seems a weird throwback after you, you had progressed really past her at that point. Mm-hmm. And then she apparently has progressed a little bit too from the entire experience, which is fine, well, and good. And the ending tied into the earlier in the movie, which I kind of liked a little bit with the dance, dance revolution kind of thing. I kind of like that. But I agree. I think it kind of came out of left field. Uh, at the same time, was oddly satisfying while I was watching it. I just felt the, the final fight was a lot of fun. I think we do need to talk about the seven evil exes. Uh, we, we should, but I want to stress, it seems to me like you wanted an action movie. I went into this thinking I was going to watch a romantic comedy. We don't cover a lot of those here at Now Playing. I, this right. might be the very first one. It's the first one I've ever served on. But I thought that this is what we were watching, and I thought... The first half of the movie is a good one, and I think the ending of this movie, if you're wanting a romantic comedy, is a real disappointment because there isn't a lot of character change, and there is a lot of characters that get dropped, and you might really want to question the choices that Scott Pilgrim makes, who he ends up with. Romantic comedies, for me, the best ones, are uh, it's, they're hard to do. They're much harder to do than horror. You know, horror, you get an interesting killer, you got a cool theme music some attractive people and some weapons and and it'll come together but with romantic comedy you have to present people that are likable believable to be attracted and create a conflict strong enough a taboo strong enough to keep them apart i thought that the taboo of him being 22 and dating a high schooler really was, particularly since I'm American and the age of consent is 18, the fact that it was a 22-year-old and a 17-year-old, I'm like, oh, my God, please tell me he's not going to get charged for statutory rape. Well, I looked it up. In Canada, the it's age 16. of consent is 16. I did so the they same thing. Covered their, they covered their bases, but I was like, whoa, that is a taboo you would never see. in an, I can't think of an American film where they've dealt with it. And Stuart, I, I was actually wondering if they were going to keep the age difference when they did the film, because I remember when I first cracked open the book, I'm like, ooh, this seems kind of creepy. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't seem right. And, but the way Scott is written, and, I, and you can tell me if he came, he came across this way in the film, he's not supposed to, he is a very flawed character. There are times you hate the, hate him in the book, and, and I don't know if they get enough into the, the his background in the film where you feel a, a strong dislike for him, but there's times when... when the way he was written in the book where you don't like him as a character. You're like, he is making really bad choices, but I'm glad they kept that age difference because I think you needed that feeling for Scott, for him to have any kind of character arc. You needed to see him move away from the childish things and move towards adulthood. Well, that's the movie that we have here. That's the movie they chose to tell us. So they had to keep the age difference thing to make the movie, tell us the movie they wanted to give us here. I, I, I like the fact that she represents childhood and I like the fact that she's a rebound girl. Of course he would go for a controllable relationship where he's the central focus and he's the cool rock star after he got dumped by the much bigger rock star. I mean, that all makes so much sense to me. And then, of course, he's going to be blown away by Ramona, who is a really difficult character. And I'm so impressed with the actress for pulling that character off because she basically had nothing to do except to convey with her eyes. I mean, she's more than a sex object. There is something about her that's really appealing and I don't know why I want Scott to get together with her because she's really messed up. And more (laughs) to the point, she takes good people and turns them angry and bitter and awful. And 
I'm not sure I really want Scott when I think about it in the long term, certainly when I look at the the Legion of Evil Exes to end up to be the eighth one of those. But I can understand the appeal because she's so good at capturing that adult world, that representation of something, someone that could teach me something. She comes out of, to me as a totally new character. Michael Sarah is always Michael Sarah. I know who he is the second he walks on screen. When she walked on screen, I did not know her, and I could understand the attraction. And I was impressed that it was more than – I know how Hollywood normally does this stuff. You know, she shows skin. She walks in slow motion. They play, oh, yeah, you know, that 80s song. And, like, oh, of course, she's hot. But it's really not about her being hot. She has a mystique. She mm-hmm. has a worldliness. And mm-hmm. that's what's harder to do. And she does it with very little dialogue, with mostly being an unpleasant, brittle person. She still allows me to understand the attraction. And hats off to her. I don't think the movie would work without her. I don't know who she is, but she deserves major props for that. Completely agree. Also, the hair, Stuart. Yeah. The hair. The character changes their hair color, and they don't really explain why in the movie. I don't think you need to. Just like they don't really explain the whole video game thing. It just is, and it's how it works. They don't really explain it fully in the movie, but it works in this world. And it does kind of show a a change in her personality. When mm-hmm. she starts out and she's fuchsia, she's really standoffish. She's really giving him the cold shoulder. She really is trying to blow him off. By the time it goes blue, she's considering what dating a nice person could be. She she finally admits several times that Scott Pilgrim is the nicest person she ever dated, that she normally picks people that are broken and, and continues to break them more. Uh, I, th- I think that that was interesting to watch choices like hair color stand in and represent uh, where where she's at as a character. It's it's like It's the kind of thing that can totally fail, but it props off to Wright and to her for making little details like that fun and visually stimulating and narratively satisfying. It's sad to me that the character development stops in what I call the climax. Speaking of Ramona's hair, it was nice to see it actually change color of the comic books in black and white, and it would always reference to the hair color changing. So it was nice to be able to finally visualize that. And <laughs> I, I, it does play, you know, in the book and in the movie, it does, it's a great little symbol uh, you know, when she's going through these different changes. And, you know, Scott has that one freak out in the film where he's like, she's fickle. She changed her hair after a week and a half. And, you know, it, it, it's just little clues. We, you know, going back to the pace, this is a, a, a mostly a very fast-paced movie. And if you're not paying attention, you might miss a lot of these little clues that they give throughout the film. I'd like to talk Michael Sarah and in this role because, to me, the biggest issue I had with this movie, uh, unfortunately – even though I do like Michael Sarah and a lot of things I see him in, was him in this movie, and I'll tell you why. Here's the thing. You, Stuart, earlier said I went in going for an action movie. What I was going in from that pr- trailer was, this is going to be a really fun movie. But everyone in this movie, with the exception of Ramona and Michael Sarah's character, were having a tremendous amount of fun doing their roles in this movie. Even the bitter drummer was having fun doing her role. Loved the, her. Uh, the, the Knives girl, when she became the screaming teenage girl from where she started, and then she became the screaming teenage girl, then the bitter girl, and then the end when she had the conversion to, you know, she wanted to kick ass, and then she yeah, finally grew up. Yeah, she tried to make him jealous up. by dating... Uh... Uh, young, Neil, young Neil, Young Neil, young, yeah. young, young Neil had stuff going on. The overeager band man who wants to get the gigs. Everybody in this movie, Brandon Routh, Jason Schwartz, but everybody was having fun in the roles they were doing, except Michael Sarah. Now wait, you're going to say to me, well, wait a minute, Brock is the character of Scott Pilgrim, isn't that? Yes. The character, the way they was written, and being the main character, making all of this have to be revolving around him. Like Luke Skywalker, for example, can't always have the most fun, have to have the burden of carrying the story, yada, yada, yada. But there is a way to have more fun playing that kind of role than Michael Sarah was having. Michael Sarah has this wonderful nervous energy. Michael Sarah has good comic timing. Michael Sarah does a lot of those things very, very well. When he was kicking ass with that sword at the end, completely bought it, had a lot of fun with it. But he never seemed like he was having any fun portraying this character without showing the character having fun. There is a way to do it. He didn't do it. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, as playing Ramona with the burden of that character, as Stuart said, her most of her role was reaction. She was having fun doing that. My biggest problem with this movie is I wanted to have 
more fun I was having. This movie is designed to be fun and have a lot of fun with it, but it wasn't allowing me to. I don't have a problem with Sarah. I want to say one thing. I've seen Sarah in exactly two other things, Juno and Superbad. And I know he's made 12 other movies where he's playing the same character, and I've heard the beef that people are tired of it. So maybe it's Sarah fatigue. I don't know. But I didn't watch Arrested Development. I didn't see The Infinite Playlist or any of those other ones. I saw probably the best stuff. I saw Juno. And I saw Superbad, and I liked him in both. Me too. And he wasn't really the leading man, or at least he co-carried Superbad together. This is the first time I've had to see him carry a movie. He's not the most interesting person in it, I can tell you that. But I kind of liked him. Basically, I saw it this way. Edgar Wright always makes a movie with Simon Pegg and Nick Nick Frost. And Michael Sarah, they're too old for this, so Michael Sarah and Kiernan Culkin work for me. They're good enough. I like watching that relationship, and I thought that was fun, and they were good enough. Kiernan Culkin was great. He was fun. I, I don't want to see Michael Sarah carry many more movies. I think he's <laughs> a, a character actor, and I enjoy him in the, in the sidelines, but... He was good enough for this. I really didn't have a problem. Yeah, I, I'm okay with him. I love Michael Sarah because of Arrested Development, because of Super Bad, because of you know Juno. He was good in, and I the last two Michael Sarah movies I saw because I've always kind of liked his awkward geekiness. Mm-hmm. I, I had the unfortunate experience of seeing Youth and Revolt and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which maybe because those were the last two Michael Sarah experiences I had, I enjoyed this one a lot more. Mm-hmm. I, not my films, not recommended. Sneak peek if we ever get around to those retrospectives. <laughs> what I, about year one, Jacob? Year one. I, I mean, come I, on. I, oh. <laughs> I, so <laughs> I haven't watched it. <laughs> uh, no, don't watch that one either. Oh, no, that's awful. But in Arrest Development, you're helping my case here. He had that character of George Michael. He had that fun element to the pathetic character of being in love with his cousin. Well, when you when you say fun, it means that he didn't make you laugh, or you felt like he was sullen and brought you down. Like what? What does that mean, Brock? I think the way it was written, he played it as best it, as he could based on what the movie we were given, based on what the all the other characters going on around him. He had to be at some level. The straight man, he had to be Kermit the Frog to the rest of the Muppets, okay? He had to be the straight man. I, I kind of agree with that, yeah. I mean, if, if he were as nutty as everyone else here, how could you even stay focused on it? But Kermit the Frog has that spark of fun and lovability that you absolutely fall in love with, even though he's put upon by this pig and this bear, okay? And you don't, ha- and it's really kind of a weird analogy, but it kind of <laughs> yes, works. It is. <laughs> uh, but it kind of works in that if you have you have this character here that is is pathetic and and down and is, and makes some bad choices and all those things we talked about. But at the same time, I didn't get the sense of the the actor. Uh, enjoying himself doing it i bought him that that was probably one of the biggest obstacles for me because as much as i love michael Sarah, he's typecasted he plays the same role every mm-hmm. time yeah and to me he was scott pilgrim what, what i wanted to see on the screen having being the comic book geek and reading all the books he was scott pilgrim to me i bought him he worked uh, i was satisfied with him i bought him i bought him as being this weird geeky awkward punk rock kid Oh, you definitely buy him as that. I don't know that for me, not knowing the original story, I needed him to be such a geek, I, that I needed him to be so awkward. I mean, he is a man becoming a boy, and that is the struggle, but I don't know if it had to be Michael Sarah To get to the meat of the movie, which I consider the meat of this movie, the seven evil exes. I do want to say overall that the most fun about this movie to me were the actors playing these, well, I guess, five. that They kind of cheated with the twins. The, the mm-hmm. five evil exes. And it was a lot of fun to watch these actors, who I've seen most of them in other things, just have so much fun with what they're doing, fully commit to it, and enjoy the hell out of it. I found them, each one of them, just to be a ton of fun. And when they were on the screen, I think the movie really shined. Matthew Patel comes out of the blue, if if you don't know what's going on, and they have this great fight there in the room. And I thought <laughs> my favorite part was the dev, the women uh, vampire people came out of nowhere and they start doing a musical number. I thought that was just over the top, but it was a lot of fun. Now, now Brock, you, you talk about how you like to go into movies as spoiler-free as possible. As possible. Did did you know about the whole video game edge of this film going into it? I only from what I saw in the preview. I didn't know how heavy it was going to be. So, so did it catch you off guard at all? No, I enjoyed the hell out of it. 
Okay. When I first read the book, the first volume ends with the Matthew Patel fight. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Where, where, because before that, you get this stuff about this subspace highway through Scott's head, but you, it's fairly just a romantic comedy until this fight. And I'm like, where the hell did this? And I actually had to keep going back and reread it like three times. I'm like, okay, this is just a video game world. And that mm-hmm. they're just going to play it. They're not going to explain it. And it's just going to be video game land. And at, once I realized that, I bought it. I mean, for either of you, was that a problem that they never explained what was going on? They just said, hey, this is the world this movie is in. I don't think anybody could watch this and not feel the whiplash that the movie takes the second that this jumps on the screen and we're there. Mm -hmm. But the movie is so frenzied and in its quietest, softest moments, there's still 20 things jittering around on screen. We still stay with it. I would not call it a problem. I would say it's a noted difference. It's it's a change of of genre, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like a change of pace, and it didn't throw me for a loop. Yeah, it worked. I mean, strangely, amazingly, it worked. It is a very contemporary, fun way. To, you're right. Fun is the is the best word to describe it. There have been so many movies lately that I feel like are pulling from video games. You know, Inception and Avatar. Both, I feel like, wow, we really are watching people that grew up playing video games now taking on movies and writing movies and bringing that aesthetic into narrative filmmaking. And it's it's very exciting. This is the most literal, and it does take you back to the fun of that. But you know what? It also reminded me why I stopped playing video games. Because as you go through the levels, you realize, oh, it's just the same thing. They just changed the location and maybe a little bit about the end boss, but it's just the same thing. I had the same problem here. You're you're describing all of the evil axes as fun. Mm-hmm. I felt like they became increasingly less fun as the movie went along, and they were completely in the wrong order. I think Chris Evans' Lucas Lee was the most fun to watch. So much fun. I th- I thought Jason Schwartzman's Gideon was the least fun to watch, and he was the the biggest baddie of all. I I thought they should have flipped him. Interesting. I I felt the Chris Evans thing, uh, the way that ended was was not as weird as the vegan one ended, but it certainly was a fun sequence when they flash back with the to, back to Sarah and then back to him on the on the grinding on the banister. So I really enjoyed that character flipping them. I, I found Schwartzman at the end. Um, yeah, he was the biggest douche of all you know a different kind of evil x it wasn't as fun i i I agree but to me he kind of seemed like if you ever play a video game when you get to shredder at the end of the game it's not as fun as playing against the other end bosses at the end of the of of the turtles games you know it's just it feels kind of anticlimactic almost every time you play the final boss although it's sometimes the hardest thing to do and the most challenging and you, you do die once or twice before you beat the ass guy Sometimes the big bosses in the middle of the game are more fun than the end boss. Okay, Jacob, big question for you about the original comic. Did they have Gideon at the end being so linked to the success of the band? Because the whole climax of the movie is set up that while Scott Pilgrim is fighting these evil ex-boyfriends, his band is also in a battle of the bands, and which is sometimes actually usually connected in some way to Ramona's ex-boyfriends. Was it always so closely linked, and was Gideon always a record producer that signed the band away from Scott Pilgrim? No. Here, Here's the thing. This film was optioned and went into production before Brian Lee O'Malley had finished the series. Oh, wow. He had... When you look in the book, he actually made Gideon kind of look like Schwartzman because that's who was casted. He had no idea how the story was going to end. So the, these actually and uh, they both take place in the Chaos Theater, but very. Wait a minute! He was writing this and did not know how it was going to end. He didn't. He was just making no, it, it up. It's very organic. Up. Yes. Oh yeah. wow! That's that's impressive and 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 risky. Okay. Yeah, so it was it, so when Schwartzman he's like, Well, how am I supposed to act? And Brian Lee O'Malley's like, I don't know, I haven't written the character. This is kind of how I picture him. He's <laughs> okay. like, so kind of act like that. So he actually but um no, there is no battle of the bands. That whole thing is totally made up for the movie. It, it again, felt and, that way. Yeah. Yeah. The the way it, it takes place in the book is after Todd Ingram is defeated. Envy Adams goes and has a solo career, and she's actually the one performing at the Chaos Theater. So you have that whole 
thing going on with the old, you know, the ex that destroyed Scott playing as he's trying to win this new girlfriend. Uh, so it's, it's a very different dynamic in the book. It's totally the Edgar Wright came up with his own storyline with the battle of the bands and all that for the mm, movie. Okay. Interesting. I like the vegan Brennan Ralph. I thought Brennan Ralph had a lot of fun doing it. I thought the way that ended was really weird. Why would he drink the coffee anyway? But I. I- that was the moment. You're now talking about the moment where I felt like the pace couldn't sustain what it was doing. When the vegan police showed up yeah, to I take know. him away, I was like, that joke's kind of lame. And then everything else that after happened afterwards felt like I've seen this scene already. I've seen that joke already. These characters have already made those observations. I really felt like that was the moment in the movie where the fun started seeping out slowly, but seeping out of the balloon. Here's the thing, Stuart. In the book, Todd Ingram is such, you know, played by Brandon Routh. And, and I, I just got to say, Brandon Routh and Christopher Evans, I thought they were horrible when they were playing superheroes. They were awesome in this film. They, they actually had personalities for once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I like and, Yeah. So Todd Ingram, played by Brandon Routh, in the book, he's just so powerful. In the movie, he's, he's real powerful. There's no way Scott could beat him. And in the book, Scott just finally goes, hey, can I get a deuce ex machina to defeat him? And the vegan police just barge in. And take his powers away. At least yeah. here they, they came up with – it was a flimsy reason for them to barge in, but at least they came up with something. In the book, it's just totally out of the blue and was even more awkward than it was in the film. But I agree with you. It, I thought one of the weakest fights, the way it was resolved in the books, and it translated that way in the film as well. But it didn't take away from me enjoying Brian and Routh's performance in it, and I love the special effects. I love the hair. I love the eyes. I, everything they did with that character I enjoyed except how it resolves. Completely agree with you. Yeah. I could, it, it, would have, it was almost there. I felt like, yeah, he actually ends up drinking an animal product, and that prevents him from being so omnipotent, and then we can have the real battle. But, but to have these, yes, Deus yeah. Ex Machina characters come in, and like that's a joke that there's vegan police. Uh, it's not that funny of a joke, and it's certainly not a satisfying fight. But... After that, and one of my favorite actresses working today, Mae Whitman, came in with her character, and I thought that was a lot of fun. I loved – when she came on her first little snippet, it was kind of head-scratching, and clearly they gave it away to me because she kept on saying later on about uh, evil exes, evil exes, not evil boyfriends. Oh, it's all in the trailer. I felt like that was a joke that probably shouldn't have been in the trailer, but every trailer for this movie I saw, they played up the fact that there was a girl in part of the – yeah, it was really dis- – and that really disappointed me because in the book, they always just say the evil ex-boyfriend. So when Roxy Richter shows up – It's a great it's surprise. Those, it's yeah, a yeah, great it's one of those bit. WTF moments, and I loved it in the book and in the film. Yeah, especially – Marketing blew it. Marketing blew – yeah, marketing yeah. blew that for me. And the sad part for me was there was nothing else to say about her other than she was a chick. Right. Like, I didn't feel like – watching her or learning about why Ramona might have even had a relationship with her had any kind of payoff at all. It was just a gimmick. And like I said, it reminded me of video games where you're playing the fourth level and you're like, hey, this is exactly like the second level, except like now it's a chick. Like, I mean, it it gets boring. And, and, and maybe they just emulated video games too much for me because I'm like, by the fourth level, I'm kind of done with this. Well, and they're also... With with the story now they're they're halfway through the whole story by the time you get to Roxy Richter and they've got to wrap this movie up they don't they don't have a, a, a seven hundred eight hundred pages like they would in the book they got to wrap this thing up so they start really condensing some some of the the storyline that goes on which is a shame because that's where a lot of the emotional development comes from later on in the books but in the movie it just felt like okay we're we're up to number four we only have you know 40 minutes left whatever we got to start wrapping this up and start you know doing things really super quick right she's a kind of actress that i love is that she's giving a little bit and she does the most with it every time like this role here i really just live watching her work she just really she just had a lot of fun with what she was doing and i just felt that she glowed on the screen for the small time she was on it okay yeah while we're talking about these fight scenes i want to bring this up because the cast spent two months in training just physical training and they actually the choreography in this film they hired jackie chan's team 
to choreograph the fights in here and train them and everything, get them physically ready for this this movie. Hmm. And I felt that the whole Jackie Chan thing really came out in this fight with Roxy Richter because Scott's like, I'm not going to punch a girl. So Ramona starts using him like a puppet, throwing the punches, using her feet to move his feet. I, yeah. I actually kind of like that. I thought there's they brought some life to these fights that, you know, by the time this is the fourth fight, they brought some, you know, it, it made me think of Jackie Chan's watching that fight scene. Yeah, and I don't understand why they kept on making him pick up his jacket and put down his jacket and pick up his jacket and put down his jacket. <laughs> uh, but I I did like that very much too. And with Stuart, you're saying about the repetitiveness of it. Well, okay, but like in a video game, you have to figure out how to defeat this boss. And so it does work in that aspect in this fight. So if you, either you go with it 100% or you don't. And for me, I went with it for this fight. The next fight, not so much. This yeah. this one yeah. I did. The next one I'm completely on board with you. They cheated and it was not as much fun. We those characters were just two guys who looked I mean, cuz where do you go from girl? You got to go to twins. You have to go to twins. You got to go to two. And there's always there's always a boss fight in these video games where you have two. Always is. But for ex-boyfriends kind of thing, you know, it's always a male fantasy to have twins, or even sisters, for God's sake. But so here, they had to have twins. It's that you have to keep upping the ante, upping the ante. But here, man, wouldn't it have been much cooler if you had to fight both at the same time doing karate? How cool would that have been to have a real two-person fight? I guess they had that with the bodyguards read earlier. The, read the book, Brock. I'm not <laughs> going to read the book. But I'm not reviewing the book. I'm reviewing the I, movie. I know. Th- this, this fight was the biggest change. And I, I remember the first time I saw this, I'm like, this is really – just it's very different and i'm like okay you know so they, they they're they in the battle of the bands and it's an amp to amp battle where they're playing at the same time in front of the crowd and electrical monsters start coming out of their amps and mm-hmm. fighting each other and it's kind of fun i'm, I'm gonna go I, on record and I, saying I, I didn't mind, mind the battle there was actually i it got the biggest crowd response believe it oh, or yeah, not yeah, it does the crowd yeah. ate it up it was just more that i Here's what had happened. Starting with Roxy and definitely by these guys, I was realizing that defeating the baggage wasn't getting Scott Pilgrim to know Ramona better. And that's what I wanted to see, just dramatically. Thinking of this as a movie, not as an action movie, Mm -hmm. but as a romantic comedy, in order to date her, in order to be close and intimate with her, he needs to get through these people. I wanted to see him like, okay, so she's had bisexual relationships. What does that make her? Why is that why she pushes me away? She's been with two guys at once. I mean, like, I, I wanted that to play out with him and her, and it really doesn't. It just remains a video game fight. And that was why I was disappointed. I'm like, oh, this is just going to keep doing this as a video game. We are not going to progress the story. We're not going to progress the romance at all. This will remain an action movie until we finally get to what I would call the most unsatisfying fight, the Gideon fight at the end. Okay, I understand your point of view on that, and I somewhat agree, actually, because the emotionality of the movie could have been more, but they had too much to tell us here. They had too much going on, and I felt Maybe you're right. Maybe they've had five instead of seven. You know, I would have loved that. Yeah, we did not need a couple of these for sure. So now we're at the final boss, the final guy, and you said earlier, Stuart, that this ending didn't satisfy you? I'm not satisfied by anything that happened in the last 20 minutes. Who is Scott Pilgrim without his band? They replace him with young Neil, and he becomes Neil, and Scott Pilgrim doesn't have that anymore, and... You know, there's the, 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 the teenage girl that he's been torn with breaking up with, but maybe he wants and there's things he likes about her, but he's not sure he wants to date. She says, I'm too good for you. Uh, not satisfying. Let me put it this way. Peeling away all the layers and seeing how Ramona treats people. I think it would have been more satisfying if he realized that he didn't need her, that 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 what he liked about her was a fantasy and that who she is in reality is not someone you could be close to because she takes good people like she took a guy in seventh grade, an Indian outsider kid, just to piss off the white jocks in her school, dated him and then threw him away. I mean, she uses people. She's narcissistic. And I can understand the appeal of liking her as a fantasy. But the reality is you wouldn't want to date her. You couldn't date her. And so the fact that he ends up with her, very unsatisfying to me. I felt like it was the wrong ending for the movie. It was I, di- I didn't want to see them together. But I isn't that the w- point that 
he was so screwed up from having his heart broken by Envy Adams that he starts dating 17-year-olds. I, I thought that was kind of the point, that he had to take that risk again. He had to go for that dangerous girl that was risky but was the adult. I, I felt So I felt that was a satisfying ending, is that he grew up and he's willing to get his heart broken again. Well, here's the thing. I never really thought much about Envy. I, she's got a scene here, and she's always in the background in posters and you know her band and all. But there wasn't enough of her in this for that to register for me at all. If the movie had been about between – it either needed to be about between Envy and Ramona or between Knives and Ramona. But the fact that there was both of them in there, Envy just sort of fades in the background to me. She's just the girl that first hurt Scott Pilgrim and sent him in this – complex about do i want a child to adore me or do i want a woman to teach me and i I really feel like battling all the evil axes i would have liked to see her be vulnerable i would have liked to her to see at the end i didn't know why she even liked uh jason schwartzman's character they write it so that she's literally mind controlled there's a microchip in her neck and that's why she keeps going back to them that was not satisfying to me at all i wanted to know why she liked this guy when she liked no other guy or girl in the movie. I, not- I thought it was explained. She talks about how Gideon was the first guy that didn't pay attention to her, that kind of just brushed her off. And when he started doing that, she found that she wanted him more. And that was kind of the alert for for Ramona to Gideon was that he was the one guy that wasn't always chasing after her. And that's interesting because I remember that being told to me. I remember that being a line of dialogue. But it never even registered, and there's so many other things going on. I, I had forgotten that. I had okay. forgotten that, Jacob. So I guess if they had stressed that more, if they had, if they had sold me on that as opposed to telling me that, maybe that ending would have worked for me. But I just, I guess, I felt like she was still the same character at the beginning of the movie, here at the end of the movie. And why would you want to date that mean girl with the fuchsia hair? How cool would it have been if Scott said, I just went through all this hell to fight all these people, and I realize now that these people are evil because of you, and they really weren't... If he said all that to her and then went off with the other young girl, it could have been satisfying. Why doesn't he go with the drummer, who I liked, who had not enough screen time, and who was a a totally cool chick that was still longing for him? If he had ended up with Kim, that would have been the best ending for me. Okay, but my point is, though, is that he fought this for this girl really hard, and if he came to the realization, as you said, that's one thing, but the movie is about him fighting these exes, the baggage of her to get through for himself, and all that kind of symbolism that was going on here. If he didn't end up with Ramon at the end of this movie... You could ask, what's the point? I feel there's a bit of a double standard going on here with Ramona. And I've read this on message boards, and it just bugs me. She keeps getting casted in this negative light that she turned these people evil, that she's some kind of whore slut because she was with twins. Scott's with a 17-year-old. I mean, it's people have baggage. People make bad mistakes, and they try to move on from it. And that's what really resonated with me with this with the book and with the film. So I, I, and Jacob, I want to I want to be clear. I totally agree with you. My problems with Ramona aren't that she's easy or been around or has had seven relationships prior to this. It's not that at all. It's that I really feel like she, her approach is cruel. She doesn't know herself and so she manipulates people to get a reaction to learn something about herself. She's really narcissistic. She's not a slut, but she's a narcissist. She's doing what she has to do to figure out who she is and how and how to live her own life. And unfortunately, you, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. I didn't get the sense that she had learned anything. I, I got the sense is that she needed someone like Scott so she could begin to turn that white leaf. That she needed a boyfriend that wasn't going to become an evil ex. Someone that would put up with her crap and help her through it. And, so, and so he is an evil ex? Like that whole thing about he has to fight himself, that was just a joke? That isn't going to happen the next person she dates? No, I don't. I, I, I think that was the, the nega Scott that shows up. Yeah, and they can yeah. Play that, off. that that was more about Scott having to face his demons, I think. I don't think that was him becoming that himself as an evil ex. I think that was goes back to the sort of self-respect. OK, because that was all very confusing to me. It felt like a bit that didn't work and probably should have been cut. But yeah, I, I uh, didn't like I didn't like how it played out in the movie. I agree. It didn't play out well at all. So, Jacob. Stuart, do you recommend Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Stuart, I am going to recommend the movie, but, and it's a big but, there are problems. And I think 
the what I'm still dealing with is that I felt like this could have been a great movie and it ended up being a pretty good movie. There are high watermarks for this kinds of things. Romantic comedies that have a lot of energy that that take the the point of view of a neurotic and project it in a very cinematic flashy way going back to Woody Allen's Annie Hall. 500 Days of Summer, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a movie I love, and mm-hmm. I feel like some of the visuals in this, even with the multicolored hair, took from. All of those movies are much higher watermarks than what where this movie ends up hitting. In the end, this is kind of a superficial, flashy, fun while you're watching it, but not a lot of aftertaste. I mean, not every movie needs to be Inception. Not every movie needs to be I'm going to debate this for months on end and think about all that it could be. But I did feel like too much of this here was about minutia and not enough of it was about characters changing and growing. So it's a qualified recommend. It's fun. I enjoy it. I don't know that you need to rush out and see it in theaters. I think it can be appreciated on your iPhone a year from now. So there it is. Jacob. I completely disagree with you about that iPhone remark, Stuart. I, I think there's just so much going on in this film visually. It's one of those films, that, one of the few films that I'd say you have to see on a big screen just because – and the sound, there's so many musical cues. Now, look, if you're older than 40, I, I have no idea what you're going to think of this film. I, I think it's just going to be way too much. I, I think this film captures this new aesthetic. I talked about – Speed Racer. I, I think about the Crank films. Crank 2 High Voltage opens up with an 8-bit video rendering of the characters. You know, it's just this new aesthetic that's coming about with, with, you know, as video game culture becomes bigger and bigger and more mainstream. You know, comic books have been around for years, and now finally the in the movies they're figuring out how to incorporate the video games into them. Again, I have a lot of personal connection with what these characters go through. Coming to terms, you know... In my 20s, you know, dating people and realizing that they've dated other people before and I'm just going to have to deal with that. And that that was a real struggle for me. But I I felt the film is a good adaptation. I mean, that's where I'm coming from. I'm not going to be able to judge this film outside of not knowing what the books were because I know what the books were. I know what the story is. And I I like the adaptation. I'm going to recommend if you're a fan of the Scott Pilgrim graphic novels, I think you're going to enjoy this. I was smiling the whole time. I, I loved it. I've seen it twice now. Loved it both times. I recommend Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I am right there with Stuart. I, I think this movie has a lot going on. I think it has a lot of fun things going on. I mentioned earlier that when I first saw the preview, I was thinking that's going to be a great DVD rental. And I agree. I think it's a great DVD rental. I do recommend it, but I did not have as much fun with this movie as I wanted to or expected to or while I was watching it. It just did not finish as strong as that started for me, and that's a shame. It, it has so much going for it, and I my, my tip of the hat goes to Edgar Wright for doing everything he accomplished in this movie. It could have been an unmitigated disaster, and he made an entertaining movie. Unfortunately, not an A. I think there's something here for a lot of people. And hey, and if if we didn't rent watch this movie this weekend, we would have been stuck with Eat, Pray, Love, or The Expendables. Oh, I you am. don't want to see The Expendables. I already <laughs> uh, go go to the Facebook now playing. I already put my review of The Expendables. I've seen it. You could go to the, the go to the Facebook site and and argue with me there. And Stuart will post his Eat, Pray, Love review later. <laughs> um, anyway, so so if you enjoyed this podcast, please, I implore you, leave a positive review for us on iTunes. You can also go to Facebook and follow us there and read Stuart's Eat, Pray, Love review there. Uh, you can... <laughs> Does this mean I have to see the movie or can I just trash it now? <laughs> do it blind, my friend. Do it blind. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We're Now Playing Pod. And also, please go to our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com and you can find all of our movies in our retrospective series. We have Terminator, Star Trek. We have a whole bunch of different kinds of retrospective series you can find there all at nowplayingpodcast.com in the archives. Stuart, Jacob, I want to thank you for um, going against the world with me today. And it was fun doing our first review together, wasn't it? It uh, that's was. true. There was a certain evil ex <laughs> that is not involved because he had to go to <laughs> Celebration 5. Whatever. Well, we but wish hey, him well. He's, he's going to be back next time with me and, and with his, hopefully never she's an ex to him since they're married, but uh, we're going to be doing sexy vampires. What a downer. Uh, you yeah. Twilight? <laughs> I, I'm just going to say we're doing sexy vampires. I'm not saying what oh. decade these vampires are from, but sexy vampires are coming up. It's love at first um. bite. <laughs> so uh, uh, it, right. stay tuned for those movies coming soon. And until then, 
We're going to be taking next week off, though. Yes, we're so taking don't, next week. Don't, don't forget about us. We will be back with. We're bringing sexy back. We're bringing uh, Texas Chainsaw back. I think uh, Chucky's coming back too. We got stuff coming. Don't forget about us. But next week we we're taking summer off. Summer yeah, break. We are. So uh, we'll talk to you all real soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Now Playing. Be sure to head to our website nowplayingpodcast.com and listen to our other movie reviews including our in-depth movie series retrospectives of such film franchises as Star Trek, Terminator, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. And while at nowplayingpodcast.com, you can find a link to our forums where you can discuss these films, as well as links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, where you can read our movie mini-reviews and chat with other listeners about the show. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate to the show using PayPal from our homepage, or you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more at the Now Playing Cafe Press store. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010. Rating, full-time awesome. All right. I'm not going to tell you my age. <laughs> no, not getting into that either. Okay. And uh, so so I understand that you always seek out Brett Ratner films too, is that true? Um I <laughs> only when I'm heavily armed. <laughs> only when I've been sedated. His friend Young Neil, his gay roommate William William Wallace. <laughs> this is not Freedom! <laughs>